This June, I visited a detective's lab in London. This lab was probably more beautiful and interesting than whatever was in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's brain when he imagined 221B Baker Street. It was filled with pieces of dead tree in every iteration. Blocks, slices, pieces of broken furniture, and tiny purple microscopic slides. This is the lab of Peter Gasson, chief wood anatomist at Kew Gardens. UK Border Patrol relies on him to sort out wood that's allowed into the country from wood that isn't. When I walked into Gasson's lab, I noticed a box sitting on some filing cabinets labeled electric guitar. I asked him about it and he pulled it off the shelf for me. The body of the instrument was plastered with a bright Union Jack. We moved over several wood samples in order to lay the guitar down and it was hard to connect them to this very shiny, modern-looking object. For plant crimes, we need plant laws. The Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora, or CITES, regulations are the closest thing to international plant laws in existence. Today we're going to learn about who decides whether one gorgeous electric guitar can legally enter the UK. We're also going to learn about the groups who are fighting these laws, and why. The international trade of plants, which make up nearly everything, is impossible for any one country to legislate. That's why the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora, or CITES, exists. 183 countries follow rules that are supposed to protect wild populations of plants and animals from international trade. Which sounds fairly straightforward, but in practice, CITES is a bureaucracy and its rules are complicated, there's a lot of paperwork involved. And, as we speak, there's a hot debate around rosewood, wood from medium-sized trees that grow in the tropics. In 2016, CITES put every species of rosewood on the second level of their risk assessment. That means that any countries who want to ship rosewood across international borders are supposed to monitor their populations and make sure they're sustainable. Before that rule, only certain kinds of rosewood were specially protected, and they were the most illegally harvested wood in the world. This relatively new rule makes sense to Gasson. He's probably the most skilled person in the world at identifying once-dead trees, and even he has a hard time telling the difference between different rosewood species. If only some of them were legal, this would cause problems. Well, that genus rosewood, there are about 250 species in the genus. From my point of view as a plant anatomist, I can often identify something to genus level. So from my point of view, Having legislation which covers all the species in a genus makes my life much easier than, uh, than just one or two or a few. So the problem with the oaks, 530 species of oak, and only one of them is on CITES Appendix 3. And of course, the legislation, if it expects you to be able to recognise species and you can't do it, then the legislation is not as, as good as it can be. So, practically, Gasson thinks the tighter regulations just make sense. I spoke to Sonia Donda, a CITES scientific advisor, about how victorious she felt when CITES pushed this new rule through. The rosewoods being listed on CITES was very positive. Rosewood was being illegally harvested and it was just being depleted and there weren't really many checks in place for that. And so that being listed on CITES was a big win because now at least that 
can be monitored. So if something gets listed on CITES, people may shift to a different species, another type of rosewood, because, you know, it doesn't require a permit or it's not being monitored as much. So we always have to be mindful of shifts of trade. And that can be a particularly hard thing to monitor. Often you find out when it's getting a bit late to conserve them, because unfortunately that's that's just what happens. It's very hard to get this biological information or even just this trade information. That's why CITES is so useful because you have this trade monitoring tool, whereas it's harder to kind of look at what's being traded species-wise. You can see like how much timber perhaps has been coming into a country, but you don't necessarily know how much of that is CITES, if it's under the EU timber regulations. It's difficult to quantify species-specific what is being traded. So that's why CITES is such a useful tool because you can look at the CITES trade database and it puts a monitoring system in place. So all in all, this seems like a pretty good thing, right? It protects the super rare and medium rare rosewoods alike. But there is one group that is not having it. Musical instrument makers. I spoke to Donda back in May and she had some thoughts about how CITES was trying to work with this group. One issue that was highlighted about the rosewood listing was the use of it in musical instruments. So this is still a current topic and CITES is looking at the possibility of exempting musical instruments from the way it's covered on CITES. And the musical in- industry has been giving a lot of data on how much you know rosewood is actually in a guitar, for example, and is that having an effect on populations in the wild? Because that's what ultimately CITES should be working out. Flash forward to now. As of November 26, 2019, musical instruments will be exempt from the Rosewood permit requirements. There are many musical instrument makers in the United States who like to use Rosewood. I spoke to one, Master Craftsman Richard Hoover. Ready? Okay, I'm Richard Hoover, and I'm the original guitar maker and the boss at Santa Cruz Guitar Company. Hoover gave me a tour of his guitar shop, which is the closest thing I've experienced to Santa's toy factory. His warehouse is filled with bearded, tattooed guitar makers using specialized carving tools that Hoover has spent his entire career developing. Every guitar is bespoke, carefully designed for the needs of each customer. I've been I've been doing this for almost half a century. Uh, Santa Cruz Guitar Company is in its 43rd year. I asked Hoover what the big deal is with Rosewood. What makes it so appealing to musical instrument makers? Why are people so sure that this is the only wood they can use? Woods in general contribute the tone to the guitar, and that is the scale of bright, clear, and articulate to warm, blended, dark, and uh, that gives the player a choice in their instrument. If you were playing a style of music that you wanted the audience to hear every note you play and all the nuance, then a guitar that's bright and clear, like a Dalbergia Negra or Brazilian Rosewood, would help to add that quality of sound. If you were playing a style like me as a singer-songwriter and the guitar was your musical partner rather than the soloist, you don't want the audience to hear every note you play. And a wood, maybe a newer growth Indian Rosewood, a Dalbergia Latifolia, would be the tone that you're looking for. So it's, it's neat that you ask that because the rosewoods cover a lot of the range of sound that we like. One piece of nuance here, the Brazilian rosewood is not exempt from the musical instrument exception. It is on Appendix 1, which is the highest tier of CITES protection. So 
Musical instrument makers without the right paperwork still can't use it. So Rosewood's a versatile wood that creates a variety of sounds and works in many different places on the guitar. It looks decorative and makes music. The Rosewood for our style is almost exclusively the sides and back. It's a harder, more reflective wood. It's also used for us occasionally in a fingerboard and a bridge because it's uh, durable, pretty, and sometimes a decorative overlay on the face of the peg head with the tuning machines. And I just realized also for binding, so we can use it in little strips to go around the top back along the edges of the fingerboard and the peg head also. Obviously, Hoover is pretty enthusiastic about getting this former plant into his guitars which means that he wants to be exempt from the situs rules, right? Nope, not at all. That's because Santa Cruz Guitars uses only reclaimed wood. One of the most important filters for all the woods we use is that it was responsibly harvested, and the majority of that means reclamation, that we're getting wood from a secondary source rather than from the living tree. And this can be an old furniture maker, boat builder, or even instrument maker's inventory, uh, that since passed. It can also be a component of building. It can be a wood, uh, a timber that was sunk in a waterway. Uh, there's a lot of ways to get this reclamation. And actually, that's pretty obvious just from looking at it, you know, when we get it, that it's been around and worked. But the rosewood that comes from India, for instance, I've worked with the same family. I'm in the third generation right now. And they share our values. They feel just as strongly about care for the resource. So they scout the forest for trees that are down from natural causes. And that's the main source that we get the Indian rosewood from. Hoover has close relationships with his suppliers, so he knows exactly where the wood is coming from. He is idealistic, but it's clear that Hoover doesn't use reclaimed woods just because it's the right thing to do. He says it adds something extra. So the Brazilian rosewood that we use, I'm in the second generation of the family that we get that from, and their specialty is reclamation of the remainder of trees that were cut probably around the 1930s, 40s at the latest. And this was before the advent in South America of the chainsaw. With the chainsaw, they could cut right down at the ground. But with a two-person saw that they used, they did that standing upright, of course, and there was about four feet remaining of the trunk of the tree. And this reclamation from that is really obvious. You can tell by looking at it. One of the things with Brazilian is it doesn't get its real beauty of chartreuse, violet, and direct sunlight until the tree's gone through the secondary process of, I assume, uh, oxidation, maybe some bacterial action, almost a secondary decay. And that's where the beautiful color comes from that makes it so desirable. So the uh, wood from the living tree, ironically, is not that uh, uh, desirable. It's the secondary stuff. And the age of the wood also makes it desirable. So those are the source of our two rosewoods. And in the question about how can we confirm this, we actually have chain of custody paperwork that allow us to have a certification through CITES, uh, Council on International Trade in Endangered Species, to be able to transport this uh, anywhere in the world. So Santa Cruz Guitars does not need an exception to the CITES Rosewood laws. They already have the right paperwork. I next asked Hoover a question that I thought might be totally ridiculous. If rosewood and mahogany, the traditional guitar woods, are all that's out there, can guitars be made of other things 
more common woods that are easier to grow sustainably? Hoover did not think this was a silly question. That is one of uh, my career goals, to introduce alternatives to the traditional woods. We were burdened uh, originally just economically by people wanted to see a guitar made from mahogany, rosewood, which are both tropical timbers. But that's traditionally what instruments were made out of. And as a new brand, if we varied too much, people wouldn't buy our instruments. But from the very beginning, we introduced alternative woods, and we've got some great credibility in that. Uh, when we started out, nobody, of course, knew who we were. Martin and Gibson made guitars, not human beings. So it took a long time before we were opinion leaders to the point that we could introduce new woods. And we still do that. I participated in what was called the uh, Michelangelo Project, and it was guitar makers from around the world. And it was sponsored by Puro Guitar Making School in Belgium. And they had these different groups of people make instruments out of their local woods. And the, the purpose of that, uh, when the, with the final exhibition, was to show players that these woods were real credible tone woods. They just weren't expected to show up in guitars. And for the most part, sustainable rather than ultra-rare. So, yeah, it is possible. Hoover notes that people trust him to make guitars from unconventional woods because he's been doing this very well for a very long time. But the field is opening up. Maybe there's room for craftsmen, even young ones, who want to experiment. Hoover tells people about his sustainability efforts, and he's found that it's an effective marketing technique. Human beings are funny, and I'm one of them. When I started out with this, I didn't talk about it. I thought that, you know, I, I, I grew up with a strong belief that charity is something you do when nobody's looking, otherwise it's marketing. And somehow I equated that to our use of uh, reclamation and so forth. I thought, that's just doing the right thing. I'm not going to cheapen it by using it as a marketing ploy. I don't want people to think we just do that occasionally. Through my, my work in Reclaim, what have been some wonderful people that work with organizations that you'd be familiar with, Greenpeace or Rainforest Alliance and, and many others. And they convinced me that, you, you idiot, why don't you let people know you're doing this? And th that way our message becomes that you can uh, make the finest stuff in the world and you don't have to compromise it by doing the right thing and using you know, the right kind of wood reclamation. So, yeah, we do. We talk about it. Um, we invite the questions about it. And people love knowing the provenance of their woods and where they come from. And then they can be proud of it. They don't have to, to be uh, ashamed. So why are groups of musical instrument makers demanding an exception to the CITES rules again? You know, this whole issue is horribly controversial. And unfortunately, that controversy is based on a lot of misinformation, a lot of assumptions, and a lot of people that are just protecting personal interests. You know, that really clouds issues. So when I go from talking about the beauty of our craft and what we build and why we do it to the question you just asked me, I'm putting my foot into politics. What I say will upset some people and some people will applaud it. I've worked um, not on official capacity, but I've talked with people from the U.S. Uh, Fish and Wildlife Department, APHIS, and the CITES organization. 
I mostly really understand their situation and what they're up against. And their decision recently to put Dalbergias, not just Brazilian rosewood or this rosewood on the appendix to the really restricted list, is really understandable because the bad guys aren't so species specific in that. They'll go to the next place and mow down the next Dalbergia. And so they put, they put everything on there, which made everybody angry. But if you were going to protect something from extinction, where, where, do you, where do you stop? You know, how do you satisfy all these personal interests in that? A fellow from Fish and Wildlife, we were talking about ivory and tortoiseshell, which are real obvious. You know, you destroy the animal to get them. And he said, with ivory, people are up in arms that uh, a great-grandmother's piano, you can't sell it. You know, who are they to tell you you can't sell a great-grandma's piano? Well, the only way to possibly to stop the extinction of elements is to demonetize ivory, to take the money out. You can't sell it under any circumstances. If somebody pauses and thinks, independent of their own personal interests, your action is either protecting the elephant or leading to its extinction. And selling ivory leads to its extinction. When you remove a piece of ivory uh, out of the marketplace into personal hands, it creates a vacuum in the marketplace that eventually pulls a tusk out of an elephant. And I, I think it's that simple. So I, I feel sorry for people that are caught in an economic bind, but the only reason we're in an economic bind is because it, the wrong things that were done leading to this point, how do you reverse it? Some pretty drastic action. So I'm on their side, you know, and I'm really glad it's not my job <laughs> to try to re regulate that. Santa Cruz is in the top 10 most beautiful places I have ever visited. As I rode the bus down from San Francisco and watched the redwoods roll by, I wondered if that closeness to trees makes a difference in the way that Hoover thinks about them. I do not look at trees as if I'm looking at a, a lumber resource. I respect and enjoy trees for just what they are. And we're actually one strip removed from the living tree in using reclaimed wood. Right now, I'm working on a wooden table, eating a banana, wearing clothes made of mostly cotton. I think it's possible to simultaneously recognize that we use plants and hold the idea of a tree as a living thing, the key to an ecosystem, worthy of protection. That's the cognitive gap that Citus has to bridge. And so Citus regulations and other laws about plants are messy and bureaucratic and deeply political. It's easy to lose sight of the forest or to lose sight of the fact that we are losing the forest for the trees. Sandy Ong and Edward Carver have been reporting on Rosewood for a few years now. Ong went to Shanghai and a couple other cities in China, where there is still a booming Rosewood furniture trade. Carver has been in Madagascar, where some species of rosewood are harvested. They published their reporting in Yale E360, and will have a story in Science News coming out in the next few months. I wanted them to teach me about the rosewood supply chain, how a tree becomes furniture or a piece on a guitar. Here's Carver on what a rosewood tree looks like in the wild. Probably the most remarkable thing about the rosewood tree is that it doesn't actually, I don't think, look all that remarkable in the wild. To the naked eye, its size is remarkable in many cases, especially those that have been growing for hundreds of years. But it takes a very discerning eye, either from a scout 
trafficking scout who's been looking for these trees for years or um, for, from a scientist to determine even what genus uh, a tree like this comes from. Because what's special about the rosewood tree is really found on the inside, in the heartwood. And so from the outside, it doesn't necessarily look all that special when, it, when it's in the forest. A key tenet of plant crimes is that people who live in the place where the natural resources are harvested are entitled to the majority of the profit. That's not really true for the people who are harvesting rosewood. Right. The financial aspect of the trade is really interesting because, on the one hand, nearby community members or even people, especially men that come from across the country, a place like Madagascar, to let's say, the forests in the northeast of Madagascar that are protected and still contain some high-quality rosewood. The people that do that and find that work, they come for a reason, which is that it's relatively well-paid. I'm always hesitant to give these figures in dollars or in any Western currency because I think it's a little bit simplistic, but basically they might make between... Your your average logger could make between 2 and $6 a day, perhaps logging rosewood in, in northeast Madagascar, which compared to some other work is not bad. However, it's really a pittance. It's peanuts compared to what these traders are making at higher levels. So it's, it's an extraordinarily valuable natural resource that commands top dollar in China. So rosewood trees have all sorts of important benefits. They fix nitrogen, prevent fires, and bring rain to dry areas, according to Ong. I ask her if she thinks the relatively new situs regulations, the ones that up the stakes for rosewood species, not the ones that exempted musical instrument makers, are a good thing. She said, yes, with a lot of caveats. I think it's good. I think it's definitely a step forward in trying to bring about greater protection for these different genuses. Nearly every country in the world has signed up to be a part of CITES. There's a lot of problems with enforcing it. So it's good on paper, but a lot of the people, a lot of the NGOs and the experts that we spoke to have said that we need like tighter enforcement, especially when it comes to rosewood. So what happens is that even though these species are protected under CITES, what that means is that you need an export permit. And that's based on two things, whether the tree has been legally harvested and whether it's sustainably harvested. And in a lot of these cases, they can be bribed to issue these export permits or the checks are not done properly in that sense, where either because they don't have the scientific capacity to do so or just the will or the resources to do it. So it's difficult in that sense. A lot of things slip by. And once you have your export permit, it doesn't matter to the importing country whether that permit was legally issued or not. So what's the best way to fix this problem? Outlawing rosewood and making it impossible to sell, and therefore decreasing the demand, as we've done with ivory? Or trying to change the way rosewood is harvested? A lot of the experts we spoke to for our reporting, we were like, where should your efforts be focused? Should you concentrate on the demand side or the supply side? Is it kind of a mix of both? And they were like, focusing on the supply side, uh, working with the source countries is a step, but it is difficult because in a lot of these countries, especially like in West Africa, Southeast Asia, they have governments that are not that stable. Rosewood protection isn't a priority of the government. You know, there's a lot of other issues that they have to deal with, understandably. And uh, there's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of violence. So 
this kind of trade in illegal flora and fauna, unfortunately, it, it's linked to a lot of violence and criminal networks as well. And they were saying it's really like a boom and bust cycle. You deplete the resources in one country and then you just move to the next country. You just source it somewhere else. Just what we're seeing in Africa at the moment. So I think it's moved from places like Nigeria to Gambia to Ghana right now. And even like further flung places like Solomon Islands are also facing problems. Carver, for one, can imagine a world where Rosewood is sustainable, properly regulated, and everyone leaves happy. Looking at it from a social justice perspective, it's really a shame that basically Malagasy communities or communities in West Africa are not benefiting from the natural resources that are right in front of them. And if we could put in place a better system where these resources, these trees could be sustainably harvested, then they would see a lot more benefits. And, and of course, that could be like a virtuous cycle in which they really see the benefits of conservation and then therefore they really invest in the conservation and work to protect a good number of their trees. Unfortunately, that world is not yet ours. Until national governments and CITES can figure out a way to limit the blitz and abandoned rosewood harvest strategy in vulnerable communities, they have to get rid of the demand for wood. That means limiting the ways to get it across borders. Hence the new rules for exporting rosewood. I bet you're wondering whether that rad electric guitar I found in Gassan's lab actually ended up being made of rosewood. He put it through a lengthy analysis to find out. Okay, well, generally, if we're preparing a piece of wood to identify it, we will take, if we can, a centimetre cubed of wood, boil it up just in water, if it's something very lightweight, like balsa wood, it doesn't take very long. If it's something very dense, like lignum vitae, it might take a week to boil it to soften it enough. But if you have an artifact like a guitar or a piece of furniture or a, or a sculpture, you probably won't be able to hack a big piece off it. So with the fingerboard of this guitar, I was able to just drop hot water on the surface and using a single-sided razor blade cut enough to put on a microscope slide and actually with rosewood all you need is a tangential section and you can see the structure of the rays quite clearly and it clearly wasn't that it was poplar instead and things like poplar and rosewood I'm very familiar with what they look like under the microscope this was a fairly straightforward inquiry. Some others are much more difficult to deal with. The wood ended up being poplar, a fast-growing tree that grows all over the world. Not rosewood, after all. Thank you to first listeners Larissa Zimbroff, Zara Stone, Daniela Bly, John Agnew, and Nikki Duong for providing invaluable feedback. Thanks also to Nikki for the gorgeous Plant Crimes illustrations. You can find me, Ellen Earhart, on Patreon. I love making this, and I want to produce a second season. Patrons make that possible. Thanks for supporting and listening to the show.